This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insight on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Spring Conversations. Virtuoso pianist Arthur Rubinstein developed crippling arthritis throughout his whole body, except for in his hands. Their consistently fluid, effortless, and balanced movement during years of performance kept his hands in wonderful shape, even as the rest of his body failed him. The book, Awakening Your Power of Self-Healing by Meir Schneider, is designed to teach you to bring the power of healthy movement into every part of your life and overcome disabilities and diseases on which others will tell you to give up. It contains revolutionary knowledge you need to grow healthier by the day, prevent disease in the future, and greatly improve your current conditions. Awakening your power of self-healing helps you to develop a deep awareness of your body and to engage in appropriate, pleasant exercise at the same time. Meir wants to help people understand that there is a way to exercise their bodies safely. He wants to help you become aware of your body's needs and respond to them. It is time to give up the idea of no pain, no gain. Instead, Dr. Meir Schneider and his School for Self-Healing would like you to understand that you have everything to gain with virtually no pain. Meir's work includes 600 exercises, many of which are unavailable anywhere else in the world, along with 300 hand-drawn illustrations meant to clarify the movements for our readers. Above all, we worked hard to make this book friendly, practical, applicable, and useful. Meir wrote his book chronologically, according to the body's needs. He begins with a chapter on breathing to teach you to breathe slowly, deeply, and smoothly. This is the foundation on which good health is built and progresses from important universal knowledge to information for specific diseases. Valeria interviews Meir Schneider. He was born in the Ukraine and moved with his family to Israel at age five. Both of his parents were deaf, and Schneider was born with severe vision problems. After undergoing five major unsuccessful eye surgeries, doctors pronounced him permanently legally blind. At the age of 17, he discovered the work of American ophthalmologist William Bates, who devised a method for natural vision correction through various eye exercises. Schneider started training diligently, sometimes up to 13 hours per day, and saw results very quickly. Within six months, he could recognize objects. Within a year and a half, he could already read without glasses. He would eventually improve his vision to the point of being allowed a driver's license, which he still holds. Recognizing the need for countless other people to improve their vision naturally, Schneider created his own vision healing program, which is now practiced by millions of people around the world. In addition to vision therapy, Schneider has a PhD for his work on muscular dystrophy. His books are bestsellers, and he was listed among the top 10 most inspirational Israelis. Here is the interview with Meir Schneider.
in your own words, who is Mie Schneider? Well, I'm a 66-year-old, a little bit balding guy who walks and runs better than most 20-year-olds, who was born with cataracts that caused me blindness because of five unsuccessful surgeries for the first 16 and a half years of my life. And then I was able to rehabilitate my eyes enough that today my vision is nearly 70%, according to some, only 45% according to others, but it's not 1% as it was in the past. And so I live much more normal life, which includes driving, uh, which includes reading. I do read from a bit nearer than others. So that's one part of who Mayor Schneider is. The other part of who Mayor Schneider is, is I um, built institutions and I was able to help people to overcome paralysis, to get out of the wheelchair, to build kinesthetic deep awareness of the body, to overcome major eye problems with special exercises like physiotherapy for the eyes, and eventually uh, to also get rid of glasses. Just lately, somebody called me that after a month of work, she got, she had three diopters, she went down to two, and I was able to train many people to do it. I'm also outside of the establishment. I am not always comfortable doing that because many people would love to see my work being a part of the establishment, and so would I. And so if you say about who is Mayor Schneider, there's a lot of parts to me. You can say I was the blind kid of deaf parents. I was known among in the deaf community in Israel as the blind kid they all knew. I am what people thinking about the blind driver these days. I've already for 38 years I'm driving. And some people call me a healer. Some people call me a teacher. And I feel very strongly that I am channeling what the universe can do to every person on earth. Wow, how wonderful. And I have lots of questions for you here on healing. So, but before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Awakening Your Power of Self-Healing, I have those warm-up questions I mentioned off record. The first one is, what does it mean to be a human being, you? For me, it means that you accept all your strength and all your weakness. It means that you love the world. And humans are very different from each other in that some humans live like sheep and follow other people. And some are out of the box and they're willing to look at the world in a whole different way. But for me, you know, we all need to eat. We all need to get rid of our waste. And we all need to do all kinds of things, but we can also connect to the universe so that different levels and the more you're open to different levels within you, the better you function, no matter what kind of intelligence you have. But the more you're open to the intelligence of the universe, the more you can produce in this earth. I love that. And I agree. When you say connecting with the uh, intelligence of the universe. Is that somewhat spiritual? Well, that's a thing. This is what spiritual is. You can actually avoid being spiritual by being religious uh, in that you paint things in a very stark and dark way. You can be spiritual through your religion. You can be spiritual in being atheist uh, or agnostic. Spirituality for me is a moment that you open to all beings, but you still reject things that are unacceptable, like bad attitudes of one human to another. That is rejected, but nevertheless, you open up to a, a reality greater than yours, which is outside of space and time, while living in space and time. Wow. And that is not a belief, is it? To some extent, it's a belief because it's hard to prove it. But to a great extent, it's an experience. You know, it's like, you know, today I was running on the beach, bare feet with my bathing suit. Nobody else 
ran bare feet with the bathing suit on the beach. It was windy. This is San Francisco. It's not LA, you know. Uh, San Francisco, you know what Mark Twain said about San Francisco? The coldest winter I ever spent was one summer in San Francisco. He probably meant the outer sunset where I live. But I love the ocean and I love the wind and I embraced the wind and I ran accepting the wind and I kept asking the wind, can you empower me? And I was asking that question, the ocean. And so when I walk in the park, which I have to do these days with the corona getting me less work, I used to work from nine in the morning to 10 at night. Now I have hardly any work. It's one of the reasons I have this podcast, so I'll have more people online that I can work with. But when I walk in the park, I love the trees and I feel that they talk to me and I talk to them. So let's put it this way. You open yourself up to your inner power, to the universal powers, and you're one with the universe and you're one with everything. Wow. I love that. I love your connection to uh, nature. You know, Martin Huber, who is a very great Jewish philosopher, said, God is being born in nature. That resonates, yeah, very much. Well-being, what comes to mind when you hear that word, well-being? That if you're depressed over something that happened, you're depressed over something that happened. But it doesn't hold you. If you're angry over something that happened, you're angry over something that happened. But it's not something that is you. That first of all, you feel that your duty in life is to basically experience and exercise connection to harmony, to acceptance, to loving what happened to you. And uh, in my case, it was loving the wind that everybody was wearing coat to not feel, right? To always, always work in getting yourself better. So even if you're in the wheelchair and you can hardly crawl or not even being able to crawl, find a way to roll on the floor anyway with a good help. Find a way to move more than you moved before. Find a way to make one more step if you could make more step, if you could make no steps. And if you're in your 60s, not to dream about you in your 20s, but find a way to be as happy and as handsome as you could be in your 60s. And I can tell you that I'm using this time when I have less work, I have some, to take care of myself to work on myself, to do better with myself. So basically I would say that being open to uh, feel yourself fully is well-being. And well-being isn't simply, uh, you know, sitting in a casino and playing and hoping to get some money. That's nothing, you know, that's nothing. Uh, I've seen billionaires, the, some of the most unhappy people in the world. So what's, what's the point of the billion that they have? No. Well-being is emotional acceptance of your life. And whether you agree or disagree with the world, emotional acceptance of the world you're in. Yes, you want the world to move forwards. You're not stupid. You know what, what things are happening. But you're not going to deny the beauty of the world just because things are not happening your way. The sun is rising, the sun is setting. And yesterday it was so beautiful when it set. And uh, I can tell you that it, you should find happiness in the smallest of things. I'll never forget it. Once in Sfat, which is a, nor a northern city in Israel, I was sitting and, you know, I had 24 uh, people there and each one wanted to ask me a question. I said, you know what? Now I'm drinking a tea. And I drank my tea and I said, this is such a good tea. And a lady who stood near me, she said to me, you're one and only. How many people drink tea and say it's so good? And so that's the point. Every moment has its place of happiness. Wow, I love your wisdom. Absolutely love your wisdom already. We're just at the beginning of the conversation. Thank you. So um, my next question, warm-up question, is has to do with healing. What is another word for healing? Um, acceptance. 
for example, for me, you know, I have scars in my lens. 99% of my lens is scar tissue. If you were a physician and you look through my lens, you would not believe I can see. But 1% of it does admit light. But instead of being the quickest braille reader in Israel, which I was already in sixth grade, you know, my mother would say, hey, lights out, put the book under the bed. But, you know, she didn't hear me because she was deaf. Me taking the book out of the bed, out of uh, the area below the bed. She sometimes would catch me mm -hmm. in the morning while I was sleeping with my hands on my book, feeling the braille. <laughs> but uh, I, when I was reading braille, when kids were harassing me because I was integrated in a class of normal people, I found moments of happiness no matter what. And I loved being exactly where I was. Well, now, when I, uh, I always meet some clients and I say, you know what, you're seeing now worse than I'm seeing, but like in most cases, you'll see way better when I finish with you than I'm seeing. And that's perfectly fine. I'm so happy they do. My kids who were born with cataracts like myself see way better than me. And you have no idea how happy I am about that. So first of all, emotional acceptance of where you are with the intention of moving forwards no matter what from birth to death. That's real, that's real healing. Another one is acceptance of the inner powers that you have and manifesting them. So you, you take yourself from where you are to where you could be. That is the purpose of our School for Self-Healing and the Center for Self-Healing. And that is the purpose of my book, Awakening Your Power of Self-Healing. I think there couldn't be a better name to it. It was based on my book, The Handbook of Self-Healing, which was popular in the 90s. But I want this book to be much more known than it is. Because whether you have muscular dystrophy and you can hardly stand or you're in the wheelchair, or whether you are an internationally known athlete with a gold medal, in all those cases, there are things you can do to get yourself better than where you are. To begin with, to recognize what you do that doesn't help you get better, and then to act on it. Right, right. I'm wondering what is it about you that is different because for most of us it takes practice and lots of hard work to see life this way and to embrace everything, always look for something to be happy and grateful for. So I'm wondering if this is something that came already within you. Well, I had an interesting life experience. I won't tell you all about it, but one thing I can say that being born blind to deaf parents <laughs> and um, moving from country to country, from the Soviet Union to Israel in my early years, and adapting to being different and wanting to be like everyone. Sometimes I was envying the fact that other people are much more normal than I am. And then I discovered that I'm actually comfortable being exactly where I am. <laughs> you know? But uh, basically, the need to move from one place to another that got me to work 13 hours a day on myself. And I've done it at the age of uh, three months or four months before the age of 17. I tell you, that led to a huge difference. Can you imagine? I was told, do not cross the street without a seeing eye dog. I was told, do not have anything to do in life without protection. And I had 19 accidents, on a semi wrong. I would cross the street, the car would be in the street so it wouldn't move when he saw a pedestrian walking and I would hit the car not seeing the car and fall on my back and find myself in emergency. And the police would come and make a report and the driver was very afraid of that and then I would be admonished and all this. And the idea was I should really have a cane. And these days I drive. People laugh at it and say, hey, uh, you know that uh, uh, the bumps on the roads are braille for blind drivers. But I don't drive psychically. I drive with vision. <laughs> and I created that. So can you imagine the change that can happen? What about the fact that I was able to get 300 people out of the wheelchair? Do you know how powerful that is? And not only that, healthy people to find their breath and how they could breathe deeply, that makes a huge difference. You know what I'm saying? 
Absolutely. And this is one of my first questions about your work. I see that you have at the top of your list uh, circulation, breathing, and then circulation. But before that, uh, let me ask you a, a few more warm-up questions. Uh, the next one is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? You're asking a fantastic question. Many people think being free is not being in jail, but we're all in jail of our own armor. So we basically uh, have often very tight chest that holds many emotions that never came out. We're actually not ourselves because what happens is whenever you um, act, you project all that is in you that was not coming out, like grief that never went away, like a movement that was stuck. And the result is many people have arthritis, many people have depression. The ability to release yourself from whatever blocks you is the beginning of freedom. I love that definition. (laughs) And that's so true. Uh, So my next question is about the current situation. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? First of all, the world's greatest need is in trust of oneself. Look how people are talking. They're saying masks are going to solve the corona problem. They're saying that um, vaccine is going to save us all. If you look really at the situation, what's going to save you is your strong immune system. When you're drowning yourself with excessive amount of penicillin and antibiotic, guess what happens? You destroy uh, your immune system. There's a very known virus that also, sorry, bacteria that came to us from tigers that we were hunting 50,000 years ago, which we shouldn't have hunted and eaten, you know? It's bactohelico is the end of it. So what happens that bacteria, if you kill it with antibiotic, you start to have asthma and you start to have all kinds of, um, uh, you start to have all kinds of uh, problems with breathing and allergies. Why? Because the immune system does not regulate itself. So to begin with, we need to regulate the immune system. To continue with, we need to work on our environment. You are, if I assume you're from New York. Yeah, we are in New York now. Yes. Right. The worst thing for Corona in New York is air conditioners right now. If you put an air conditioner on, you have circulated air. The worst thing in the winter is furnaces. So circulated air is the worst thing. I understand you should have circulated air in airplanes, no choice, but you don't have to have them in airports. In all the best hotels that circulated air, you want to get Corona, wear a mask, and be in an air conditioner with other people because it will penetrate to you even deeper through your mask. That's my opinion, okay? So what I really think, yeah, wear a mask, but open the fan. That is when you're with other people, if you need to. Stay outside. And by the way, if you get a little bit of corona because somebody's six feet away from you or nine feet away from you, send you his virus, That is like a vaccine. Now your immune system can start and work with it because it's not too much of it. However, if you enter the room and now it multiplies, the next person will get a bunch of them, especially if their conditioner is on. So what I want to say is that we're not learning anything from what's happening and we're waiting for the Messiah, for a nice vaccine that could come maybe in two months, maybe in three years, you know? And the point, about that is what about COVID-25? We are not preparing ourselves by strengthening the immune system. But if you look at my book and you look at the nervous system chapter and the breathing chapter, and you take a look at what I'm talking about, the immune system working with all of your internal muscles, your tongue, your nose, your throat, your bladder, your vagina, uh, with your uh, anus, and you work with all those muscles and you Although I tell people to inhale and exhale through the nose, but in this case to do choo-choo train, to stick the tongue out, not in anyone, so you should have a cup near you to to spit, and (laughs) massage the inside of your mouth with your tongue, and to do all kinds of exercises to build up inner strength. So you, what you're doing is you build up a lot of tension, and then the tension drops, 
And then what happens is there is a balance in the autonomic nervous system. What's important about that? The imbalance of the autonomic nervous system leads to suppression of our immune system universally. Because what happened is we have an autonomic nervous system that is built in such a way that either you're completely relaxed or you're standing against a predator. You stand against a predator, many things will happen to you, including suppression of your immune system. You will stop digesting, you, you will, your pupils will widen. Many things will happen, so you could fight or run away from the predator, or what zebras sometimes do when lions visit their camp, if they know it in advance, they pretend to be dead, the lions leave them alone, and then they shake for three hours. Our tension is long-term tension, like now, economical tension. Fear from the corona, that's another form of tension. And yet, what we, what happens is, our nervous system is built for short term. And what we need is to create evenness between the sympathetic and parasympathetic, as I explain in my book. And if you create that, you boost your immune system. Look at what a good immune system can do. There's one lady in Spain that got immune system in a chair, they got the bird flu, which was, they call it wrongfully the spinal, the Spanish flu in, the, in 1918. And now, 2020, she is 113, got the corona and got out of it. What do you say about that? So if you have a good immune system, the, uh, uh, the immunologist will, will be unemployed because you won't need to think. They're, they're basically thinking that people who have no symptoms from the corona are villains because they can give it to others. No. In fact, it's good to get a virus, overcome it, and, uh, and, and get your immune system that much stronger. So when cancer will come, you can overcome it as well. That sounds wonderful to me. It makes so much sense. A question came to mind about the immune system. Where is it located? The, the immune system is the white blood cells, which are in the bone marrows. And it is the lymph, which is located uh, in the whole body. The thymus gland is much bigger with kids. That's one of the reasons that young adults and kids don't have much problems. It shrinks as you become uh, as you become older. So that's why I'm suggesting to all the audience to tap on the chest a lot to make the thymus gland bigger. That's why I want you to stick your tongue out. So if you have tonsils, because those Right. <laughs> Silly doctors removed so many tonsils when it wasn't really necessary. Sometimes it was necessary. I'd say one to a hundred times it was necessary. Otherwise it wasn't. These days they don't do it as much. And so uh, if you have tonsils, sticking your tongue out, washing your lips uh, wa um, with your tongue, washing the inside of your mouth and around your teeth, that really helps your tonsils to, to work well physically. And if you get a virus, corona, common cold, whatever have you. I still believe in distancing is a good thing. You know, uh, uh, when there is no season, uh, when, when there's no season three feet, when there's season six feet, although I don't believe in not shaking hands and I don't believe in not hugging between you and me. I think that is <laughs> one of the worst things that Dr. Fauci told all yeah. of us to do. <laughs> don't shake hands. Well, I will. Sure. And when I'll meet you, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, Valeria, I will hug you. So don't believe me. <laughs> but I'm but I'm but I'm saying um, I'm saying that uh, basically I think it is uh, very very important for us to first of all have a strong immune system because the alternative you can have corona and have all kinds of problems with it until they find a vaccine which by the way unless I'm being forced like they tell me you cannot go to Europe where I have to teach without having a vaccine I'll take a vaccine I'm, I'm not gonna oppose that. But if I have the choice, I will not take one because I believe in my system. But there's also the, all the autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and many, many others that are a result of a suppressed immune system. And we need to right now allow the immune system to come up so you don't have mononucleosis. And so you, you don't have my uh, uh, myofibrigia, I forgot the name of it right now, but I work with it a lot. So the point is work on strengthening your immune system. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Your nervous system, 
your joint system, your muscular system. A real strong person isn't one who has uh, this incredible uh, strong right, stomach and right. strong arms, but a weak immune system. <laughs> a strong person who is balanced, that he has a strong nervous system, strong uh, immune system, strong muscular system, and balance in their life. That's a strong person. I agree. <laughs> I agree 100%. <laughs> um, so the immune system, how do we know? What are the signs when the immune system is weak? Because in my case, I feel tired when I don't sleep well, and that's when I know my body's vulnerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Blood circulation is a big part of it. So before you sleep, you should massage yourself. You know, there was a lady who was a Zen priest and her breasts were removed in her 50s. And she came to me uh, for sessions. I really loved that lady. I admired her. And I've shown her massaging her body. And she says, Mayor, you teach me to love myself. And she died in her mid 80s. Nice, oh, huh? Really nice. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is that um, you need to sleep well. One thing that you could do before sleeping is taking a nice walk if your neighborhood is safe outdoors. Another thing is to do some stretches and also listen uh, to books on tape or uh, uh, audible and turn the lights off and don't turn the light on in the middle of the night ever, you know, so you can sleep better. But circulation is the name of the game. Mm because when you have good circulation, you also have good capacity to move hormones, to move lymph, and to move white blood cells. Oh, oh I love that advice. So um, let me ask you this question. It's a warm-up question still. Um, what is love to you, May? Right, so instead of doing it, do stretches or walk outside and breathe some fresh air if you feel safe. Love is the acceptance of the other and also a great emotional connection to the other. And so being open in your heart and accepting the other person is what love is. And I had a lot of it in my life. If you uh, would look at the other book that you're going to talk to me about, my grandmother's love to me is probably the reason why I've done what I've done. Because, you know, my parents, again, were deaf. So my grandmother used to lie with me in hospitals and rub my body and um, um, quiet me down. And just imagine being a blind kid. And I used to throw my glasses, I had glasses which were thick, like magnifying lenses, throw them on the floor and being uh, admonished for that and whatever have you. But the un, uh, basically unrelenting and unconditional love that my grandmother had to me is what my kids right now experience for me. I love them unconditionally. And, um, you know, I love a person who loves me unconditionally. I uh, I like my, my clients uh, also, you know, I, I can definitely have a lot of love to them, a lot of unconditional love to them. And, um, and it's, it's something that they miss. Uh, those of them who decided not to receive body work now and intensive sessions with me. I love that you connected that word unconditional to the word love. And that leads to my next question. Do you also believe in unconditional self-love? Right. Up to a point. Depends what you do in your life. <laughs> if you're a Hitler, I hope you don't love yourself too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's narcissism, I guess, a different term. If, I mean, first of all, forgiveness for things that you are not agreeing with, that you did, is the beginning. And allowing yourself to be you and always having the next step. But basically, self-love comes from the fact that people loved you. So being in a circle of people who love you and adopting relationship with people who will love you. For example, my kids, with whom I went all the time to physicians to help them in so many ways, now went with me to an optometrist because I have to renew my driver's license and I cannot read the normal chart in the DMV. So I have to give a note from an optometrist. And we're, we're there with me. And my daughter was making sure that the form will be built will be filled and then we had a nice meal together. But 
they went with Daddy to his appointment. And I don't have many appointments, you know. Just when it relates to my eyes, I wanted to have my kids there. So um, that is... Uh, that, that is an important thing, you know, and loving a lover very much and forgiving the lover. That's the beginning of the lover f- loving you and forgiving you and being behind you and not accepting anything less than great emotional connection. So, for example, now that you talk to me in such a warm way, Valeria, for a moment, I feel um, loved, unconditional love. You help me bring what I have uh, for myself, up. You're a beautiful person, though. It's easy to love. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Very easy. <laughs> so how did you become a writer? Well, it's interesting. I met a spiritual healer. I had immigration issue, and he was starting to work on it from a spiritual way, and it worked. <laughs> you know, It seemed to be an impossible situation, completely fix itself. So I met him to work on his cataracts. He just wasn't open to the eye exercises, and that's too bad. I would have saved him from his problems. But he told me, you have no choice, you have to write a book. So I did. It took me eight years to write my first book. It took me four years uh, with a lot of help to write the book, the Handbook of Self-Healing, and then it took me two more years to write the book, uh, Awakening Your Power of Self-Healing. And as you know, in that book, there are 600 exercises, and Uh, And there are 400 illustrations and I'm with the person. So, for example, if you just want to work on your body, then you start with breathing. You spend a month on that chapter. You continue with circulation, spend a month on the chapter. You continue with joints to prevent the disaster of how many people have joint replacement these days. You spend a month on that chapter. And each time you pick the exercise that you like the most, then you spend a month on spine. Then you spend a month on the muscle chapter, which is the biggest chapter there, where I teach you how to separate muscle groups and not to over-tense all your muscles like they teach you in most gymnasiums and they teach you in, in most classes. Then I teach you the nervous system chapter. I talked a little bit about it, but we also talk about the, som- the somatic part of the nervous system and the central nervous system, how to develop it so you'll have much more control over your body and your function and prevent all kinds of problems. We have a nice massage with a lot of self-massage. And of course, we have a vision chapter, which is huge. But then the second part of the book, 18 chapters of what to do with it, how to work with your headaches, referring back to the breathing chapter and circulation, different kinds of headaches, how to work with arthritis, how to work with your heart. Let's talk right now about self-love. Let's say you had a heart attack, less of your heart exists how to visualize that the rest of the heart does its job well, how to meditate that so your life will come back close to normal. And then there is um, uh, definitely chapter on indigestions of different kinds. There's chapter on arthritis, chapter on muscular dystrophy, muscular atrophy. And I tell you, when you have an atrophy, don't move quick, move slow and move wise. When you have dystrophy, we talk about the massage that touches the muscles very, very gently to drain all the toxicity around the muscles and to allow the muscles to rehabilitate because the the muscle plasma is too open to get the toxins back. And so uh, in the vision chapter, we talk about macular degeneration. We talk about cataracts. And I'm with you 100% because I had so many clients of those problems. So I'm starting to guess what could possibly be with you. Although, you know, I've discovered that every time I meet a new client, it's a new way of working. But nevertheless, I'm giving you my capacity, my talent. So that book, and especially if you work also now, these days that so many people do sessions online, Uh, videos online and also individual sessions with me online can make a huge difference in people's life. And that's why I would love for this to be a real major bestseller as a dictionary for life from birth to death. And I agree. Yeah, it's a rich, rich work. And I'll be doing that myself and posting reviews about it too, a chapter at a time. So I love your holistic, natural and gentle approach in many ways. Um, yeah, I have a question for you. How about running? Running always came across as high impact and not a gentle exercise to practice. Talk to me about running. 
They have a nice running chapter there. And uh, one, one of the important things is that it will not be an impact exercise. First of all, let me just say something. Never exercise to extreme. Never exercise way beyond your capacity. Some will be on your capacity, but not way. To begin with, I run only on the beach. You won't pay me to run a marathon in San Francisco because, <laughs> because it's uneven. I walk in the park and I can tell you I have shoes that are just made for this because they're being destroyed more and more each time I walk with them, <laughs> full of sand for this to step on gravel. I don't believe in, uh, in the evenness of cement as something that is good. And his shoes and something is good. But it's good if you have padded shoes, if you have to walk, run on cement. The second thing is, the important thing is your posture. It should be straight. And then you should breathe in and out through the nose. So you wouldn't really pant too much. And then your movement should be full movement of heel to toe. Running backwards is even more important than running forwards. But you all the time have to move, look back you know, to see every 50 feet that there is nothing behind you. Right. Running sideways is wonderful. Running sideways is wonderful. So running in different ways than you used to run. And I have in that chapter the idea that you imagine yourself running backwards as you're running forwards. So the idea is that running should become an easy venture for you, not a hard thing to do with few differentiation. Sometimes you will excel, but that if you do a long distance running, which is beyond two or 300 meters, then you want to do it in the most relaxed possible way that you can. You look at the distance, the body then is gearing itself for the distance, and you make sure that all the joints are moving in the most even possible way. Then running is good for you. I had a lady who got running who got sciatica because she ran, which means her her um, nerve was trapped between Lombard four and five, and she had tremendous pain in her legs. And then she healed her sciatica running with me because she learned how to run in the most even way. Now, that makes sense. Yeah, and I love the idea of running on the sand. That's my favorite kind of exercise, too. Uh, would you say the same for the grass, sand and grass? Yes. Okay, that sounds wonderful. I love to, I ran today bare feet on the, on the sand, loving the wind, you know. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't overwork. I never overwork. I don't like to do it that way. Right. I, I, um, I don't go to maximum capacity. I'm just enjoying it. And that's why I like where I live because it's by the park and by the beach. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Nature, boy. You combine breathing with affirmations. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, what stops you from breathing is bad mood. What stops you from breathing is hyper excitement, even with good mood, but especially bad mood. And when you have good affirmation of more expanded chest, expanded abdomen, and air giving oxygen to your cells, you are now breathing and you're now focusing on nourishing your cells with your thoughts instead of draining your cells because of your thoughts. Yeah, that goes back to the beginning, very beginning of our conversation about this gratitude, this alignment with the universe, uh, something that's greater than ourselves. Yeah, but, but the thing is that many times you stop yourself from breathing thinking your chest is narrow. And so you physically want to open the chest and I have many good exercises to do that, like lying on your side and lifting your arm up and having space in your ribs and tapping on the ribs, putting your hand back and put, putting the elbow down on the floor and tapping on your chest. All that we're doing. When you finish, you also want to have a sense of more expansion and you want to have positive thought about that. Wow, I love your work. <laughs> There's so much to learn and to practice. Uh, it's a work for life. What we are here to do, but work on these things, have this amazing, healthy and happy experience in the human body, right? So when you talk about well-being, we're talking about breathing deeper. That, you know, the word uh, breath and soul are from the same root in Hebrew and in Sans Sanskrit. So ancient people already understood it. We need to have 
the capacity to breathe slower. Deeper is slower, not forced, but slower. And that was one of the mistakes that I was making, breathing exercises, and I was trying too hard, and then the body was not happy with it, and I could feel it. No, no. In fact, exhalation is more important than inhalation, because the more you exhale, the more your brain wants you to inhale. What you want to do is to convince your brain to want to take a deep breath. And the way to know it is the expanding our belly, right, me? The diaphragm, right? Expanding the belly, the diaphragm, expanding the chest, visualizing that the head expands when you inhale and shrinks when you exhale. Visualizing that your whole body, your legs, your arms are all expanding when you breathe in and are all shrinking when you breathe out. So visualizing all of that does make a difference. Counting six when you inhale and nine when you exhale and letting the exhalation be full. You know, when you have asthma, you, you can't exhale all the way. That's why you will not also inhale all the way. That's amazing because if there is one exercise that I always choose to do when I can't do any of the others, it's breathing. <laughs> so follow my breathing chapter. Follow my breathing chapter. Lie on your side and bring your hand between your shoulders and... Uh, tap on your chest. That's something you need to do. And bring your hand on your ribs and and and, uh, so, and and tap on your chest again and tap on your ribs. And again, put your hand between your shoulders and tap on your ribs. It's going to make a huge difference for you. So take a look at the book. Follow the book step by step. Makes a huge difference. I also have webinars that can show people how to do it. Oh, yeah, that's even better. I'll have the link for sure for the listeners, and I'll be practicing these exercises for sure. And I'll write a review for them too, because that's what I'm very much interested in, healing in all kinds of ways. So I just want to, to, to bring that thing. Whether you have muscular dystrophy and you lie and you sit in the wheelchair, breathing is important. And whether you are Walking with a cane, breathing is important. And whether you are with no limitations of any kind, breathing is important. And even if you are a gold medal athlete, breathing is important. Breathing is there for us. This is what the universe gives you. Your sense of well-being is one breath away. So the breathing chapter helps you unite between you and your breathing. And that's why you should spend a month doing those exercises. Yeah. And I agree with the month period or even longer until we really understand. Then you integrate it with everything. Yeah. What a wonderful work. I absolutely love you for what you do and the work itself. Everything's in so much alignment. <laughs> Your energy with everything that you're trying to put out in the world and share with us. It's wonderful. Thank you. So when I finish all that I'm doing, when the corona is over and when I'll teach classes in New York, I want to meet you and have a cup of tea with you and also give you a hug. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Yes. Yeah. We're moving to Florida. So when you go to Florida, I'll do it. In uh, Florida. Yes, that'll be wonderful. So I have a few more questions that I call them final questions before I ask them. Would you like to add anything? I think I already did. One thing that I want to say, which is, beyond what I did, I mean, not necessarily just in the spirit that we did, there are limitations that the medical profession puts on us which are not true. For example, they tell you that if you don't see well, you cannot see any better. That is simply is not true. Uh, just like the lady that I was talking about that uh, took three webinars of mine and uh, was purchasing the fourth one because she said that in two months of following my practice, she improved her diopters from three to two. Uh, there's a person that first time in his 40s was able to drive without glasses. I can tell you that again and again that people can improve, but I can give you much more serious cases of somebody that thought that she's blind in one eye. And as we worked together, she found it was simply a lazy eye that the brain did not use. And we were able to integrate and get the two eyes to work together. So the whole idea of the medical profession that eyes cannot improve is wrong. The idea that you cannot get rid of a back pain that 
pained you for years, well, do my spine chapter, do the back chapter, and you'll discover that your back does not need to hurt. Because what we need to learn is to separate between muscle groups, to create more space uh, between our joints and to create balance in the body. And therefore, when we talk about the body, we are basically being squeezed into common understanding. Just like I was telling you, they're talking about masks, they're talking about distancing, but nobody's talking about how do you make your immune system stronger? And I do. I'm the only one who does right now. But being in the sun, bathing in, in the nice ocean water, that is so good for the immune system. Walking in the park. I, my heart is broken seeing all those people walking in the park with masks. But you know what? Telling you that the sun is bad for you and getting the whole world to wear sunglasses is one of the worst things that the medical profession have done as well. The sun can be bad for you, just like eating too many strawberries could be bad for you. Depends how much you use it. And truth of the matter is that you can put a hat with a cap and that can help you to reduce sun exposure. It's, it's good to stand in the shade, but it's really good to adapt to the sun. And we have special exercise called sunning, where you close your eyes and you move your head from side to side facing the sun and the eyes are closed and you face the sun with the bridge of your nose and you move your head all the way to the right and all the way to the left and you uh, your pupils constrict and expand and constrict and expand, you make them stronger. Now, I had dark glasses. I hardly saw anything in the daytime, 1% with no glasses, 4% with them. And uh, I had the glasses, I painted them, I, uh, they were tinted, tinted so it, at night, I could hardly see anything. Getting rid of those glasses and adapting to the sun made all the difference in the world. And the result is I could see huge print, black and white on paper. And from there, I excelled and improved my vision from 1% to 70. That is amazing. I'm so glad you brought that up at the end. Um, yeah, the vision therapy. I'll probably ask you more questions on the next interview about the vision, but that sounds great to me. Yeah, adapting to nature and not trying to run from it and be afraid of nature like most of us are. Wonderful. So my last question is, uh, let me see. Yeah, I'll ask you this one. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? That sometimes I'm trying too hard. That sometimes I don't give up when I should give up. That... Um, I have to find a way for life to be always easy. And I, actually, I'm using the corona time that way. I am. Um, I have much less work than I used to have, although I have some work. I found that walking in the park, losing weight, fasting once a week on juices is wonderful. That basically life is wonderful to me, whether I'm successful in business or not, because business is not me. Me is me, is the healing part of me. And doesn't matter if I help less or I help more, I need just to help as many people as come my way. I love how genuine you are. So Thank genuine. You. Um, how do you define success these days? What is to be successful? Loving life. It's very simple because <laughs> so many people succeed in something but then they don't love their life anyway. So what's the point? Right. Yeah, that will be the first success for sure. Yeah, basic success. Accepting, loving ourselves, our lives. Yeah. Loving life and loving the moment and talking to you definitely helps me love the moment. <laughs> Tell me about it <laughs> for me too. And two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Not really. I mean, I would make some external changes, you know, work on my will or something. But no, I would be very peaceful in saying I'm happy to be here. The achievement I wanted to have, I didn't succeed to achieve yet in life. Hopefully this small podcast will help me a little bit. Right. And this is actually to bring my work to the whole world of rehabilitation in the world. And if any audience can help us with donation and with um, support, 
and also first of all by getting my books and videos that's a great support but also with support so we could do more research in our work and so we could move forwards that would be a great thing so the point is i haven't yet done what i wanted to do i had 100 practitioners in brazil i trained about 10 in this country but i have not yet done the changes that i wish to that were done at the same time I'm seeing that so much change positively in the world in that people do more yoga and people listen more to themselves and and many, many good things are happening in the world. And we don't have, and I don't think we're close to a third world war. So if I'm right about it, I think that m- much of what happens now could be wonderful. And if I would die, I will try to think that way. At the same time, I wish that I would bring the great knowledge that vision can improve. You know, once I fasted and I palmed, which is an exercise where I rub my hands and put my hands around my eye orbits, breathe deeply in the dark, lean my elbows against a table, or I have a nice palming stick that I can go bring it up and down. And I saw myself after a few hours as an infant, as a baby, and the baby spoke with me Russian, mm-hmm. which is my mother tongue, even though I speak Hebrew and English better, but that's why I was born in the Ukraine. And um, I saw the baby cannot breathe, and I said to the baby, why aren't you breathing? He said, because the world will not see what I see. And so one of two things I'm gonna have to do if I die. If I die 40, 50 years from now, maybe the world eventually will see what I see. But if I die today, I would say to myself, some people did, some people didn't, But no matter what, people, whether they see what I see, will evolve in their speed. And I've done the best that I could do in my life. Mm, Right. I love that. Yeah. That knowing, yeah, that we have done everything we could. Right. Beautiful. So I have one more question for you. What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Three things? Yes. First of all, that the body is very, very strong and capable of healing. And that we have 600 muscles and most people use only 50 out of them. And that we need to find a way to get to our nervous system and to our muscular system and use it way better. Because people are too busy overusing the muscles they always use and not using the muscles they never use. So to create integrity is very important. And I think that it is very important for all of us to know where our opening is and where our boundaries are and to push the boundaries a bit forwards to be able to go beyond our boundaries. And it's happening already. Look at the fact that so many people live past the age of 100 these days. Something good is happening. Now the question is, how you can be a good hundred, you know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a do good one. Really well in your in your hundred years. That's the question. And I think that those are the those are the three things I'm thinking about. Our potential, reaching it, moving forwards with it, and accepting the greatness of whom we are. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Me, for your wisdom, profound wisdom. I uh, love how genuine you are, how authentic you are. This beautiful soul, uh, spirit, whatever we call it. Yeah, I'm grateful to have had a conversation with you today. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So two things, you can call our school at 415-665-9574. You can also go to our homepage, which is self-healing.org. And you can write to office manager at self-healing.org. And then you can definitely get all the information that you need about our work. And we have webinars. And as soon as we can, we have courses. And uh, I like to see people and work with people. But the webinars that I've done were very successful. People took them uh, in New Zealand, in England, no matter what hour of the day or night they were, they wanted to take my courses. So I really hope 
that all of you, they are for sale, they're recorded, they've done very well, they've been edited greatly, just like your show is going to be. Um, and so uh, that would be a great thing. So uh, I would love people to contact us because I'm a people's man. And the best thing for me is a conversation. Yeah, thank you so much again. Me. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye bye, my friend. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Meir Schneider, please visit his website, self-healing.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.